0: And welcome to Thick and Fabulous with Chantella Whitfield on Radio Lex WLXU 93.9 FM. Uh, first, let me start off saying this show is attended for mature adults. If you have children, I advise you to let them leave the room. Um, because because the show will uh, include adult language and content, this show is not an A substitute for getting professional help as this show may contain information about self-help advice self-empowerment and mental health please seek help from your licensed trained professional and i'm excited to do this again with the lovely and fabulous doctor julia
1: hauser how are you oh it's so good to see you again and have this conversation i'm so excited we are back for part
0: two of the 40-year sexual journey, because the, the first one was all that and a bag of chips. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> it was So much fun, and educational. So um, I wanted to bring you back for another show. But in the meantime, if people didn't get to catch you the first time, tell them who you are and what you do and all about
1: you. Yeah, so I'm Juliana Hauser, Dr. Juliana, and I am a couples and family therapist and professional counselor uh, who happens to be an expert on things sexuality related.
0: And and you're here close. Yeah, I live in
1: Lexington. That is so
0: great. <laughs> I, I didn't know we had those here. I I never, I would have never dreamed that Lexington would have. Sex that we had to go to maybe Louisville or Cincinnati or something like that. Um, so let's just jump right on in and talk about love and our sex language. Um, because you know, everybody has their love language or they should know it. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about is labeling. Um in this, in this time that we're in where women are being um, sexually free to talk and sing about songs like WAP. (laughs) Um, Being open about your sexuality and dealing with the labels as being labeled as a freak or easy, promiscuous. Um, or even a, just a good girl, if you if you're not doing anything, um, what are ways to deal with to deal with it and be confident in who you are in your sexuality?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, and again, like I love the questions that you ask. <laughs> you. Uh, I, I, really good, important questions that people do think about and talk about. Uh, and so, thank you for, for bringing these questions to the forefront of the conversation. You know, about labeling, it, you know, it's had an interesting history because, first, we first, we're like labels are bad and terrible. Mm-hmm. Then we're like we're gonna claim our labels and we're gonna we're gonna name we're gonna define our labels on the terms that we want to. Right. So for some of the labels that uh, we can't say on air that people are like, yes, I am that, <laughs> and I'm excited to be that. Mm-hmm. And thank you is a compliment, right. even though you're meaning it as as a negative. So I think those are some ways of responding to it. But in the end, what I think of, I think what we're talking about is. How much comfort do you have with your sexual journey and how much peace do you have with your sexual decisions? Hmm. Where you are with that, it kind of doesn't matter what you're labeling it or what someone labels you with because you can make meaning of those labels however you want. When we're labeled by others or we use labels ourselves, it is a reflection, a uh, reaction to those labels is a reflection of how we're actually are feeling about our sexual decisions and our sexual journey. So, If you feel uncomfortable with uh, how someone is talking to you or labeling you, and it's not just because they're being terrible and and trying to to really be be oppressive in it, but it hits a nerve with you, then that means it's time to decide, you know, is it time to reflect? Do I need to make some changes? Do I need to own this? Do I need to, to find a different community? And it doesn't mean that the label is right or wrong. It just means like, okay, this has hit a nerve. Um, And then if you're labeling yourself and that that feels important to do, then you want it to be a label that seems accurate and authentic to who you are and where you're heading in your life. I'm not sure it matters to be labeled either way. Um, It's not something that I seek or I teach people to do, Mm -hmm. but I do like to kind of deconstruct what those labels mean to you and how you resp- how, like what are the feelings that are listed because of it cuz none of those words are benign all right. of them have a reaction to it and is it a war cry of like yes or is it shame filled and like you know like and how dare you
0: right right i
1: like that i like that but with that oh it's all
0: of that being said in the sexual liberation of women how do you have that conversation with um, your teenagers and young young girls? Because you know, it's all over TV and sometimes it can be sexualized. I mean, you know, to see a three-year-old twerking, it's like, wow, my God, how do you have that discussion, I guess, with them about it and not use the labels? Yeah. And saying, you're going to be labeled this if you do this or, you know, how, own it. How, how do you have the, that conversation?
1: Yeah, it's, it's complicated because we, depending on what age it is, mm-hmm. people want to automatically instill this in them that this is to be feared you are, you are in charge what people think of you, in charge of, of what the perception is of you as a sexual being, and mm-hmm. then stuck with that. that, that's too much to put onto a child. But we also have to measure that with, but we also know there are ramifications that could come along in a society that hasn't evolved yet and yes. hasn't evolved enough. So it's, it's similar to how I teach people to work with kids about self-pleasure. That it's this is what our family, this is what our friends, like whatever you know, group you're coming from, this is what our values are. This is what we are okay with. This aligns with society or a community, and this part does not. And I like to, to, in an age-appropriate way, discern this is going to be something different that you encounter out in the world, mm-hmm. uh, and this is how our family or however we're going to use the words um, handles it, um, and this part is common. This part is not common. And our family handles it in this way. And I, and I think those words make them feel safe. I think those words make them still feel like they can have agency in their life. But then it also can be that you can have rules. You, you can have rules and in, 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 in instill those things into your kids' lives. You can also have agreements that are different than rules that they get to have a buy into with it. Now, if we're talking about three-year-old twerking, that's different. Like there's not a whole lot of engagement that they can have in it and you can protect them from that and decide what is cute and what isn't cute and and who they they can't. Just like with self-pleasure, there's some things that you can do with us. There's some things you can do by yourself. There's some things that you can do out, you know, at the park, but there's some things you can't do in, in those places at all. Um, And so that would be one of those things that I would explain to them in that way. If we're talking about older kids and like junior high and high school, Mm -hmm. those are different conversations. And those are the conversations that I think can be even trickier because you need to make sure you've done the work yourself and that you're not projecting that onto your child or children or the people in your life and that you aren't putting your unresolved stuff onto a a person or a generation that has different rules and different agreements amongst themselves too
0: Mm, that's a tough one because that That requires
1: i just spent a week uh with my nieces who are in their early 20s um at the beach and we had some really great discussions and so they know that i do all this work with an agency and that you know i want to empower everyone to have their own decisions and things and i was tested by one of my nieces who like her they come from Florida. And so they have these like thong bikini and, and it was, you know, they're obviously very noticed on, uh, on the beach and they're very proud of their bodies. And they have very different body types. And one of them was like, wow, like I think we are definitely different than others in this. I was like, yes, we are not in Florida and you're right. But you know, how do you feel about it? And I even felt myself tripping up with, um, saying to them, like, cause they were taking lots of pictures and, And I was like, I feel like I'm a hundred years old and and I'm not a conservative person. And even that was testing for me. And then, but I really had to watch like, what is my stuff and what are they really asking me? So I learned to start saying things to them like, you know, do you have a question for me? Or do you just want, are you just talking and you just want me to be a part of this uh, thing? And because there were times they're like, yeah, we don't care what you think <laughs> we, we don't know and that's different than a parent you know i'm an i get to be the auntie and, right, right you know try to be the cool auntie with them but so i think also knowing when are you when do, is your opinion not asked mm. um, that's important uh, and that can be hard when you see something that you think is wrong or damaging or hurtful and that's and, it, and it's unsolicited your opinion you have to tread lightly into that too jesus
0: that's that's a lot when you know you got teenagers out there and it's but and in then in and then too it's a whole different realm of things because now you have social media and so it's you know sexual predators it's like oh my god I'm all for you being liberated and knowing who you are but at the same time it's like it's almost like a thin line it's like how far do you go before you know, it it turns bad Yeah, that's scary.
1: So I learned too in these topics when I had so much to say and so much that I wanted to say, and they were like, yeah, we don't need to know your opinion. What I said is, if that ever changes, I would love to be a safe safe person for you to talk to and work these things out because I may have a different perspective uh, Mm -hmm. and I may be able to bring something to the table. And that, you know, it sounds so serious when you're like sitting, you know, by a pool or whatever, but I do think those moments of not shutting them down, because what I wanted to be like, oh my God, like I I had internally, I had lots of thoughts, but I did think like, but I don't know everything either. And I don't necessarily know everything about that generation. I don't know everything that she's thinking or they're thinking or any of those kinds of things. And I think that's some of the problem that we give to a younger generation is that we do think we know everything and know know better. We do know some things more. Right. And there are some times you just have to step in no matter what. And you do need to give the cautionary tales um, that they just aren't educated enough to. But what I have found is that generation takes it a lot more if you are walking into it with mutual respect and that you don't come at it like they don't know anything. You may know more about this, but you don't know everything. And that kind of um, calculated deference makes a difference of them actually listening to the parts that you really need them to hear. I
0: totally agree with that.
1: Um, So let's get a little deeper, shall we?
0: There's always this this conversation about women being submissive to their husbands. But I don't want to talk about it in that way. <laughs> I want to of course since we're talking about a sexual journey about being sexually submissive to your partner and how do you release your inhibitions?
1: Yeah, I love <clears throat> this. I love it and I think there's without was- being drunk. Let's 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 add
0: that to it cuz you know once you're drinking, you ain't thinking. <laughs>
1: but well, oh, any mood altering substance, any Yes. 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 Yeah. Being being totally sober. How do you release it? Having complete consent to, to have that power play. Mm -hmm. Um, I I actually love talking about consent and power plays and power differentials and making it accessible to everybody and giving people the right tools. We could spend a whole hour on that. (laughs) which I know we don't have the time for, (laughs) but I would say First of all, I think the word, I wish we could change the word because as you said, there's so much that, that word submissive is really hard for female identified people in a lot of ways. Um, But also it's also a turn on too, for like some people like really take on like, yeah, I do want to be submissive. And I Mm -hmm. work with a lot of women who are very high powered in their careers that they are, um, they have a lot of responsibility in their life. And so they're confused or or they were describing themselves as feminist and they're like, but I love to be dominated in bed. Like, why do I like that? That doesn't make sense. I'm like, it's because of that. Yes, yes. Like, why do I have this dissonance? And I was like, well, because power play is important and interesting. And when you are in control of making decisions everywhere, it is super attractive to let go. And it is, there's nothing more exciting than trusting somebody enough to let go of decisions, to have somebody telling what you what you want to do and when what to do and to just to release into that. Um, And if that makes sense, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) I wish people could see me raising my hand like (laughs) and if it doesn't, then I would say open yourself up to what I'm talking about here. Mm And it doesn't, it, sometimes that means you're tying up. And sometimes it means that it's actual, that you cannot move and you're submitting yourself physically. Sometimes it means that you're submitting yourself emotionally or verbally um, or etc. Or Sometimes it's just, I'm even making the decisions. Uh, and I love playing with the continuum of power play. Mm. It could be like, I that what your partner is saying is I want you to do this. And that feels submissive to you. And that's a turn on. Other times it's like you can't move until you do such and such and such and such. And you know, whatever. And there's a whole line of, of ways to go submissive and, and, and dominating. Or the opposite that people are like, I love dominating and or I like humiliating something, or I like whatever in it. Like, what does that mean about me? And I say it doesn't, it's like a dream. It means nothing and something. Like, don't don't judge that you have this interest in this kind of power play. Just find someone. Or people that you feel safe enough to play with it, and to find where your edges are, and don't judge where those edges end up being. Mm. Just enjoy that. You have to find the right kind of person to do this with, or people to do it with that you can trust, so that you can let go into that power play. It um, won't be labeled. That's right. That that's right. Because you can't really let go and be vulnerable um, unless you have safety. And I think that is, it's really important. I believe we talked about that last time too. About yep, yep, we <laughs> did. And so you would say it'd be submissive. No, it would be vulnerable, safe, and submissive or letting go or dominating that you need. And so you have to understand those two characteristics. So I'll give you one example that I had. That Do you know what shibari is? No. The shibari is the uh, like Japanese art of tying ropes or silks. And if I showed you a picture of it, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. It is it is bondage, but it's actually special kind of ties and and it's in the dominating submissive world that it's used. And so I was at this conference and there was someone who was an expert at Shibari and um, he asked for someone to demonstrate. I was like, hey, me, hey, hey, <laughs> like try it on me. I, if, well, if I've never done it before, then I would want to try with an expert. <laughs> and and so I might as well like, you know, try it and and... He was not someone I was attracted to physically. Um, There was actually parts of the way he was talking as an educator that I didn't like. So I thought this was going to be just like educational. (laughs) I'm telling you, when he whispered in my ear, you're going to sit here and I'm going to walk five feet away and you're going to put your eyes down and you are not going to look up. I felt so (laughs) attracted to him. (laughs) And I didn't know where that came from. And I mean, was fully clothed that there was nothing like that. There was, it was just a demonstration, but to be taught. And, and, but he had done all the right stuff to gain my safety. Mm. I felt safe and he gained my trust and he did it. And he came back to me when he said he was going to, I could count on him. I, I was, he was dependent. Like, all the things that triggered me to feel safe in a relationship, he did like that, which is when you're working in the consent in the kink in the, the dominating submissive world, you get that right because you have to have all those things in order to have safety to let someone actually enjoy what we're talking about. Typically when people have a bad experience with this, it's because they don't have safety and they haven't gone through the rules and the agreements. That's what I'm talking about. See, gotta have conversation,
0: communication. Yes, you do. <laughs> so we're gonna take a little break and uh, communicate and let our sponsors have a word. Uh, and we'll be back here on Thick and Fabulous with Chantella Whitfield. On radio W L X U ninety three point nine FM. I want all of that. And welcome back to Thick and Fabulous with and Teller Whitfield on radio W L X U ninety three point nine FM. Uh, if you are just joining us, this is an, an adult show. Uh, This show may, will contain content that is intended for the mature adult. This show is not a substitute for getting professional help. Please note that this show may contain information about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, mental and physical health. Please seek help from your licensed trained professional. And we have one of my favorite licensed trained professionals with us today. Uh, Dr. Juliana Hauser, how are you? Hi,
1: great. We are back for part two and we already like, woo, Lord. <laughs> it? I'm telling you Shabari stories. I know <laughs> that wasn't planned. No, but I love it. I was like, ooh.
0: <laughs> Lord, please let this air.
1: <laughs>
0: nah, we are good. We are good. Um yeah so we're sharing stories and talking about labeling and sexual liberations and being submissive um but I want to get a little soft real quick and ask you why I don't I think I've this, I may have asked this in the last this is our part two of our 40year 40, 40 sexual journey um why do people use sex to heal or or to have some kind of feeling?
1: well uh, there's i mean several ways some of it is like my my first response is that i believe our sexuality is our essence and it's it's one of the purest ways for us to uh connect and i don't mean pure in the biblical way but just pure yeah. like, like the, the realness and an authentic way when it's done in you know, the most sensual way. And people crave that kind of connection with somebody else—to be seen, to be wanted, to you know, feel valued in that way. And we have made sex something in a lot of ways that's highly valued in relationships. So, if you are wanting to connect sexually with me, then it then it means something about my worth um, to you. That's how some of it feels. Others, it is—it's uh, a great stress reliever, or it is something that you feel good at, or. Or you have learned to lead with it in an unhealthy way. Mm. That that's the way that people want you. Whew. Well, but that's
0: it. I, you know, be reading and stuff. Uh, I learned, well, I've heard of this before. I didn't know the technical term for it. Um, sexual transmutation. So for those, um, it is defined as taking the sexual energy that's building inside you and channeling it into something else. Now, I've heard of artists doing this, like taking a sabbatical from sex, if you will, um, because it helps them create these amazing, amazing masterpieces. Um, So... How have you ever talked about that with with couples and and how how to explain it and get them to do it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it is again. I just love that you would find <laughs> it and ask it because not a lot of people ask about it. And and I think it's a concept that's hard for a lot of people to put into practice. Mm-hmm. But there is, there is something fascinating about it. And for those who would buy into it, could achieve it and could find, um, some real benefit to it. It's in some of it's rooted in like tantric views. Yes. belief system. And I teach like a basic form of of that, that is really like breathing Mm -hmm. and that it is, there's an exchange of energy that you can create. I mean, fully clothed with other people, um, through tantric positions and checking in with each other's breathing and touch that I have experienced myself as well as seen other couples and taught other couples of how to do that just through a breathing rhythm and through these positions. Next level is energy exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, you have to believe that there's energy and there's, a, and there's ability for energy. And then you have to be open to the possibility of doing that. And I was somebody who was resistant to that for quite some time until I experienced it myself in an, actually in an acting class, and and that was it was absolutely game changer for me of understanding that for me that energy does exist and then it can be exchanged um, in a negative way and 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 if you think about it in less of like a woo woo sense and really think of like think of the energy that happens when people are in a heated angry situation there's an absolute palpable energy inside of you flowing and with the other person. And then there's a synergy to that anger that when it's a mutual like yelling and screaming at each other, that's the energy exchange. You are exchanging energy, it's just negative. You can do that same thing in a positive way with sexual energy. Yes. And for me, like what you're talking about with the creative uh, process and and the creative aspect is if you believe in chakras, if you understand what chakras are, And the second chakra, which is in your, um, your reproductive area, and that is um, in that belief system that there's, there's, is both your sexual energy and your creative energy. So the belief is either that you hold onto your sexual energy so that your creative energy can grow and that, that can, that's what you're accessing, or you access your sexual energy in order to promote your creative your creative energy and i've seen it happen both ways work in both ways i am more the proponent of keeping your sexual energy flowing in order to help your creativity flowing instead of denying it
0: see let see now that you you you, you don't open up my you done started talking my language with the chakras and wounds and so um let's dabble in that real quick let's take a little detour um and women holding their their pain in that second software that womb um how do you help women understand that um, that they're more than birthing children and for having sex how do you switch that mindset for them like it's it can be something pleasurable but that's not what you were created to do
1: it's you know i you know my belief system is that i want people to become their own experts and do mm-hmm. their own so unless someone's really open to it I don't often introduce that mm-hmm. unless trauma work and then I will pose it as one of the possibilities for it because it's it's a concept that we are not hearing a lot about Nope. unless you hear about it and you're like you and me then I'm like oh but if you get it it's a really big thing but I'm just going to give you little drops
0: yes um, give me a little drops
1: lead you into it so you're not just like what crazy no and dismiss all of it but what I have learned is that I I was somebody that did not have a great body connection that I, I didn't really understand how things were working with each other or how I could access my own um, body's anatomy or um, have like mind body connection that could work for my pleasure or could work for my health. And when I got that, when that concept became clear to me, then I can understand like, what does that mean for that part of my anatomy and that I could use that as a source of power, that I could use that as a source of energy for myself. Um, it's even how we look at our menstrual cycle that uh, there's, I had no idea until I was well until my forties that that there are people who like track their cycle and understood that was had something to do with their energy. I never understood that. I was only talking about like premenstrual cramps, or I noticed I was tired. But when I had someone talk to me about like you can be you can figure out your month, like where you're the most productive and have the most energy, and align your schedule and your calendar to make that be when you have all the most important work deadlines or whatever, I was like, What? <laughs> There's and a whole a, moon cycle thing. The whole, all, of <laughs> all of that. And then, you know, because I come from a medical background, I was like, why did my parents not teaching me this? Or why is no one talking about this? And there's still people that are like, that's weird and not accurate and not backed by medical science and bless your heart. Um, but I wish I'd been exposed to it more. And, um, and I, I do think there's a lot of merit to it. And I think it's ancient wisdom that's gotten lost. And I do believe that it is coming back and having a whole lot more of a common knowledge that we're sharing collectively. And I think that's gonna make a huge difference. I think, I don't know how everyone gets to it, Like, I think there's different spokes in the wheel of how you get to the, to the understanding that there is power in your energy sources and your chakras and that understanding that can make a difference in your sexual health and your sexual life and your life outside of that. Um, But I think it's important to be exposed to it and to be open um, to those different ways.
0: I'm so in love with you. I just want you to know that.
1: (laughs) you (laughs) sure. Oh
0: girl I'm over here screaming like she's talking my language finally someone who gets me (laughs) and I can have these open conversations with oh my god oh my god I don't even know what to do right now (laughs) like I'm so excited oh let me contain myself um since we're talking about knowing our bodies um let's talk about orgasms because oh uh, you know i'm reading i'm learning and it says five percent of all women
1: have difficulty achieving an orgasm oh it's higher than that it's yeah. higher than that. yes oh it's much higher than that mm-hmm. right. okay <laughs> <laughs> there's so many questions um one
0: let's start two-part question one what is an orgasm two How do you achieve it? Mm -hmm.
1: So an orgasm is the is the second to last phase of something that's called the excitation cycle, which is arousal. There's desire and arousal there and it kind of goes like this. And everyone has a little bit of a different excitation cycle. Some are longer and shorter than others. Um, And once you get to the arousal period and you have this plateau, then what, you, what brings you to orgasm is the difference between arousal and, and how your body is responding and how your mind is responding to your arousal will bring you to orgasm. And orgasm is kind of like a resolution of pleasure in your muscles, in your nerves, in your tissues and in your brain. And so everything kind of is heightened in that way. And then there's the actual, it's called resolution. Mm -hmm. Your body, everything kind of goes back um, to place. And for those with um, female identified parts, the excitation cycle is, it's so fascinating. It's also very fragile. It's one of the reasons why a lot of women will say, I'm not sure I've had one, I'm not sure I've had an orgasm, or I'm not sure how to achieve one. Or I can only do it in a certain way, and a lot of people come to me. A lot of women, female identified people, cisgender um, so women, will come to me and say, with a lot of shame, "I, I can't have an orgasm like I see in pornography, or I can or how my partner says I should have it, or when I see it on TV, people talking about it, that's not how my that's not how it feels for me," and a lot of people feel like they're broken. Because of it, oh, yeah. one of the things that we're taught and that we're we see in all sorts of media is that penetrative um, sexual activity is how you are quote supposed to f- experience an orgasm. <clears throat> but for female bodies, you need to have a clitoral stimulation. A whole that that is a lot more accurate, and and that is typically the achievement of orgasm when you have clitoral stimulation as opposed to penetration. Some need both. Um, it is. St- Studies on female sexuality are awful across the board. They are not done in any diversity. They are not done with a huge sample size. And it's sometimes hard to actually study our body um, different than it is for a male identified body. Um, So even the data that we have, we can't trust uh, Mm -hmm. in that way. So how do we get it? We know our body, we know our anatomy, we practice, we know our body first. We figure out what we like and what we don't like. We understand that our body, if a lot of people know how a male erection works, they don't know how a female erection works. You learn those body parts and you then figure out how to have it on your body. Um, or if you are wanting to um, have a, another body that's female identified have sexual pleasure, you learn the anatomy on that person too. Uh, there's a lot, if you understand how to, um, how a penis goes through the excitation cycle to orgasm, then you can ch- use that knowledge and translate it uh, onto the female anatomy if you understand that there's a clitoral system, not just a clitoris and that you, that needs to be stimulated and not just um, in uh, the vagina. Ooh, that was, that was heavy. Well, <laughs> so
0: people need to hear that, but people
1: need It's to... so much more, that's like- the That's, truth yeah, truth that's... Do it, yeah.
0: Keeping it clean for the air. Um, I want to know how. How are men so seemingly easy to disconnect from the act of having sex with the person they are sharing an intimate intimate moment with?
1: I would actually say uh, women do too. Um, that it's not just men. That I know plenty of women that they had that experience. Um, uh-huh. I- I think it. Yes, some of it's gendered, and probably there is there are more men that have been socialized to do it that way. I'm not so sure that it is genetic or or that it's like you know something that they're born with. But I think a lot of men are taught that, mm-hmm. and you know that, that that it's reinforced through their years and through their sexual journeys. But I've seen women do the same thing. It's it, sometimes it's rooted in trauma, sometimes it's rooted in um, really negative messages. Sometimes it's rooted in selfishness. Sometimes it's rooted in self preservation. Uh, there's lots of reasons why people can detach. Um, and some of that's not all that bad. Uh, and then some of it is damaging um, to the relationship. What you want it to be is mutually understanding and, and you want it to be something that's kind of mutually accessible. You will also want to have the ability to not detach that's where I really see it as an issue no matter what the gender is is I'm not so concerned if you detach during it I mean there there, there are lots there's lots of women I talk to that their detachment is like I'm doing a grocery list while we're having sex I am not the, I am like I gotta do this can you hurry up I'm not into it like I, there's tons of that I don't have as many men talking about detachment in that way it's more of an emotional attachment or they're fantasizing about something else I'm not so worried about that if it's not always like that. You need to be able to have a variety of it. And there are times that people just aren't feeling something, just like we're not as happy, just like, it's where, you know, like we can detach from, we can sit in church and not be listening in those kinds of you know ways and, and, and get ourselves distracted. You just want the ability to do it. You want the ability to be in the present, connected with somebody um, and to really be in the moment. If you're not, then you need to also look at, if it's none of those other things that I listed, maybe you have a mindfulness practice that you need to get involved in. Maybe maybe you are a busy person with a busy brain and remaining still and being present with somebody else or even still with yourself is uncomfortable.
0: Wow, that was, that was a lot more loaded than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> like, okay, okay, I'll take that. Um, and with that, I'm going to take a break uh, here on Thick and Fabulous with Chintella Whitfield on Radio Lex WLXU 93.9 FM. Wish Whitfield on Radio Lex WLXU 93.9 FM. If you are joining us, we are doing part two of our 40-year sexual journey with my new friend, um, Dr. Juliana Hauser, how are you? Awesome! So excited! I am too. I'm just like, oh my goodness! Um, wow! I'm just glad I met you. I'm so glad. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about love and our sex language, um, transfer of energy, and orgasms. Um, let's get even deeper. Let's go. Let's go deeper. Um, Lord, help me with this question. What is the G spot, and what does it feel
1: like when it's touched? So, I so the G spot was named by a man, mm-hmm. uh, and he named it after himself. Go figure. Uh, Grafenberg was his name, and he named it and. That alone bothers me, to be frank. So I don't love using that word because I just feel like um, it's a female part of. I, I just, it just, I just have an issue with it. Um, also, it's not a spot; it's an area. So I like to say that that um, women, women bodies, uh, have the potential of pleasure in a certain area in their body. And I know that's a mouthful and G-SPOT is just easier to say, so we can still call it G-SPOT, but that is how I like to like teach people about it. And I think it's also important to use the word potential because I have a lot of uh, women that come to me and they're asking about a G-SPOT and they're asking about female ejaculation or, or squirting and, and they feel upset if they can't have it or if they don't know it or they haven't experienced it and they feel broken or their partner really wants them to have it and they're feeling lesser than because they can't find the spot or they can't quote, make the person have a female ejaculation. And and I just think that's um, inherently negative to put that kind of pressure on it. But if we're talking about it um, in that way and looking for it, there are a couple ways that you can go to it. And again, I could, I could talk about this for an hour so I'm doing a really short Cliff Notes version <laughs> going to be enough information. But the number one thing that people do wrong is that they look at it the in they look, they'll look it up in a diagram on the internet, and they'll see where it points to where this quote spot is, which technically is if you were to put um, your fingers inside the vaginal canal, and like go and you can't see my fingers. Um, if you were to oh. poke the front of your, it's called the Mons pubis. So like where the pubic hair is, if you were to like from the inside, like be able to like put your fingers through that where your pubic hair is, before it poked through the skin, um, you know, metaphorically, that area is technically where it is. Um, but just like there's different uterus sizes and positions and different cervix sizes and positions, there's different places where this is. So people make the mistake of seeing this diagram, putting their fingers inside themselves or their partner and thinking that they're gonna do the technique. That's not gonna work. You have to be aroused first. And for some women, their G-spot area, pleasure potential area is not gonna appear until they are feeling aroused to begin with. So that's, that's the first mistake to correct is already be aroused. The second thing is that I have found with women is, and I say this over and over again, but it is absolutely just the crucible of sexual pleasure is safety. So if the woman isn't feeling safe in any sense of if she's annoyed with her partner, if she feels like the kids could come in any moment or she's feeling pressure for it, she's not going to, that little spot's not going to necessarily appear and be had the potential for pleasure in that way. Let's say everything's aligning and it's feeling great. There's typically, for most women, there's a difference of the surface of that area inside, um, and so it's typically there's a ridgeness to it. There's a texture that appears because it becomes engorged, and because the tissue has a, a, a different presentation. That let's say when you're not aroused, there's like a, a, a um, like a uh, what, what am I trying to find smoothness to it, but when their arousal happens that they now all of a sudden it feels different. That is going to be where your potential area of pleasure is. Uh, it can be the opposite at times that it smooths itself out, but that's a little rarer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then you want to have a rhythmic, consistent touch to it that you either to yourself or you the part of communicate that you find that brings you more pleasure. Uh, it's different for each person. So I can't tell you exactly how how firm to do it or how fast to do it, but you just need to find that rhythm and then consistently get through it. And then a lot of women report that they, when they are about to experience the highest pleasure in this area, that they feel like they have to urinate. And you have to kind of push through that feeling because it's, it's all closely aligned with your bladder anatomy. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons why it feels that way. Um, and you're, you're touching those areas and, and simulating it. So you just kind of have to get through that process and trust that you are not going to urinate. <laughs> How did I do with the guidelines? <laughs> okay, good, i tried. Great, I think it was very descriptive. And
0: yes, I, I, I think you did very well. I think you did very well. Um, for even those that, that wouldn't know what, yeah, I think you did very well. Okay. Trying to try not censored. I know. So I was like, oh that's why I was wondering about that question. Like, how are we gonna do this? But I think you I think you explained that very well. and I got it. Um so with all of that trying new stuff and finding spots and and female ejaculation because you just killed two questions in one. Um, how do you have that conversation to introduce trying new things with your partner?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, that can be scary. Like it can be because if you don't know what your partner wants or would say yes to it can feel like a scary thing to introduce something new or to ask it Mm -hmm. so i i like to to coach clients to couples to say to kind of acknowledge it like in whatever words are the authentic words for your your verbiage with your partner but something to the effect of um i want to ask you something and like it feels scary or vulnerable to ask this of you And if you have a good partnership and good communication, that should be a cue. Like I need to pay attention and I need to watch how I react. And this person is about to take a risk with me. So Mm -hmm. I better behave. And you hope that that that's the ideal way of doing it. And that's what I teach my couples that I work with to do is to like have those cues that you have a phrase that you always use no matter what the topic is that may be scary, but that it's automatic, like, all right, I, I, I gotta behave, I gotta, I gotta do this. This isn't a joke, this isn't funny, and I need to be, how I respond matters. Mm-hmm. So that's the work you will hopefully have already done, or will start doing. And then you you say it. You just, you, there's no way to avoid it, and I don't think it's great to be cutesy around it. I think you ask for it. And say, can I make an example? Yeah. Okay, so let's yeah. say you want to say, like, I would like to, to explore, uh, my G-spot, is that something that you'd be open to? Yeah. It's as simple as that. And then you can do it like, oh, that's hard or that's scary. Or if they, if they don't know what to say, like you can have time with it. If you need to, to think about it, um, we can get back to it. Or if they're ready to talk about it, then you can kind of get into it. And what you want is you want to be team oriented. So this is us doing this together. Mm-hmm. You want to be clear that I want to do this with you. And that's a compliment as a couple you want to be doing things together and you want to be the person that your couple is wanting to go to and the safe person for them to do it with um and then you can say like what would be do you have any hesitations do you have any questions um uh and then you answer them the other thing is you have to do the work if you're going to ask the question you have to be prepared for a yes a no or a maybe mm. Um, and maybe a not yet or not now also. And so you, you can't go into it with a loaded question. It, and, and if you have to be a person that someone can say no to safely as well. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part. And that's often where people come to me too, is we have a, we have a yes, no situation. Oh. How do we navigate when there's no compromise? that I want this and this person does not want this. What do we do and how do we have both of our needs met when they're competing needs? That's difficult. Yeah, we, we talked about that in the last one about
0: um, um, equally yoked with the with the sexual energy, how, how, how you work around that. And I think you had the yes, no,
1: yep, maybe, yep. yes. The, that whole list, how was, how did, what was the list? Oh, the four quadrants? Yes, yes. yes. That's, that? the other thing. That's the other thing I'd recommend is if you don't wanna do it verbally, then do that exercise, which is things I have done that I would like to try again, things I have done that I don't think I wanna try again, things I haven't tried that I think I'd like to try, things I haven't tried that I don't think I wanna try. Okay, yes,
0: yes. I like that,
1: I like that. <laughs> Great exercise, I recommend it highly. And just swap papers and see what happens. <laughs> and create a safe space and no judgment. And uh, it's a great thing when you find commonalities and it's a great thing when you find differences. One's not right and one's not wrong. So in that, having that conversation, you know, some, some
0: people, women and men have experienced sexual trauma and I know that you deal with that too. Um, how do you begin to heal from that and have a, a, a healthy, sexual relationship with someone and have
1: that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, to, it's, it's the same kind of question, but w- with it, with it, obviously different details. Of mm-hmm. How do you tell your partner that you've had sexual violence and what you need with it? And how do you tell your partner that you've had an STI and your needs with that too? Like I, I, I find people come to those same questions and there's a similar response to it, which is number one, you have to know your needs first. And when we're talking about sexual trauma, you have to know uh, when the time feels right for you and trusting somebody with that information. And you want to know enough about yourself and have done the work to know, and this is what I want you to do with this information. So for instance, um, you, you may wanna say like, these are, these are some of the um, triggers to my trauma. So if I had this, if you like do this by accident, or if you do this, you may see me react this way. And this is what it means. This is what this is what I'm going to need afterwards. Um, Or uh, sometimes you may see me doing this and reacting this way, and you didn't do anything about it. It's just me dealing with it internally. And this will be my cue for you that that's what's happening so that you don't take it personal. Um, And these are the options of how to handle me in that situation. Now it takes a lot of work to get to that place. That you can say it like that, that you can be as clear as possible about what you need, um, and that you and that you've trusted somebody enough with that information. So it takes a lot of work. I'm not gonna lie about that. And oh it's, yeah, it's worth it to do that kind of work. And uh, I've I've done it myself with other people, and I have seen other other practitioners that have just brought people who have been through the most horrific sexual trauma or violence and they feel like they will never be able to enjoy anything pleasurable again. And they have some of the most beautiful sexual lives um, possible. Amazing. Um, it's absolutely possible to find partners that can handle it and um, and for you to get to a place that you can reclaim uh, your sexual life on your own terms.
0: And you, you mentioned this, um, having the STI um, have, um how do you have that conversation with your new potential mate like how do you sit down and say hey i have an std or sti i'm not sure which is the correct term that we're using now
1: sti yeah yeah, yeah. So, so it's you know the first thing we have to do is the society societies we have got to reduce the shame of it it's the number one reason why people don't tell because there's a shame there's a big factor with it. Mm-hmm. my mentor who um died over covid she's 91 years old Mm. would joke because she was always, she was a very shocking person and she liked to shock people she would say if you haven't had an STI you have not had a good sex life and and she said that not because she necessarily believed it but she said it because she was trying to say like get over it it's okay and you're not a shameful person if you've had it and it's it just happens And there's plenty of people who could have had it and didn't have it. It's not because they are holier than you or practice safer sex practices better than you. They just kind of lucked out um, in that. And so don't bring on so much shame uh, in the process of it. So I think that's the number one reason why people don't don't report is that they're ashamed and they're scared that they're gonna be judged and that they're gonna be rejected for it. But you do not want to wait too long because I've had multiple clients that they did wait too long in the eyes of their partner and they felt betrayed that person felt betrayed that they weren't given all the information and had they been told it sooner they would have been fine with it they just felt like they couldn't trust the person and they personally couldn't get over that they couldn't understand that it was the shame doing it not the sense of not being an honest person Um, and i've worked with people of trying to decide when they tell um,
0: That's my was going to be my next. one am like, so when is too long or when is too short? So the answer
1: isn't a satisfying one. The answer is it's different. Some people will do it automatically up front, and that is the that is the most responsible answer to give is don't get sexual with somebody until you've you've asked, you've done testing, and you have um, disclosed. Uh, but I would say I see it practiced the least in heterosexual coupling. Yeah. Um, in the gay community, uh, in general, they're better about it. And uh, in the consent community, whenever there has been a process of having to find your own self and your own sexual journey agency, consent and information giving is, is generally a lot better than communities that are not marginalized and haven't had to do the work to do the, to do that kind of conversation. So rule of thumb is do it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. If that person is a no to you, then they're not meant for you. And it's good to know now before later. Um, I do not advise people to keep it secret and to be sexual. Um, I I don't even advise people to use lots of protection and to be proactive in the medicine that can help prevent some of the breakouts. Um, Because then you're getting into this feeling a lot of people feel manipulated. And then you're like, it's kind of like when you don't know someone's name. And you've you've had like four or five conversations with them. And you're like, it's too late like i waited, I waited yeah. too long to ask like how do you say your name again <laughs> i'm sorry we've bonded and we've had drinks and, and you know we've shared <laughs> secrets with each other but i don't know your name it feels awful so then it, it does you're saying your name <clears throat> that's what happens when you wait too long in sharing that you have an sti uh it, you just then you're starting you're hiding your medicine you are hiding breakouts and if you are you're introducing a whole lot of lies um, and a lot of work for yourself, and so I I try de, to to um, demystify it for people and say do it do it sooner than later, um, and let's not be ashamed that you have it. This conversation is a lot easier to have than it was even five years ago. Wow! Particularly like fifteen years ago, it was a lot there was a lot more shame and fact attached to SEIs than it, than it is now. But it's still relevant and still it's, real. Yes, yes.
0: Um, this has been. A wonderful conversation. Um, I wish I could have conversations with you every week
1: <laughs> because I have so many core questions. Well, you ask great questions, and you really—I mean that when I asked this to you last time. And you ask questions that I wish other people were asking. Oh. Uh, you really do. This I think. is what I'd be thinking.
0: <laughs> so, can you tell people how they can find you if they
1: want to talk to you? Yeah, so I love it when people couldn't find me on Instagram at Dr. Juliana Houser. Uh, and I'm also the same name on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And then my website is dr-juliana.com. Thank you, Dr. Juliana. <laughs> I, I just love spending time with you. Thank
0: you for having me. Time time. <laughs> I just feel so great. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll do this again. sooner than later. um because I got more questions but I thank you and I honor you um, for sharing your time with me and information um and with the listeners um here on Thick and Fabulous with Chantella Whitfield on Radio Lex WLXU 93.9
1: FM bye